Good, uh, good to be with you, everybody. Thank you, Matt. Uh, <laughs> love that opener. That was phenomenal. And, uh, and thank you, all of you, just for being a church that gives really, really faithfully. Uh, really blessed uh, to have the track record that we do and just to see the way that God uses that and blesses that here. So thank you, everybody, for being part of that. Uh, hey, so uh, this morning we are in our, our series on the Lord's Prayer, and um, uh, I, I was with some friends earlier this week, and somebody shared this thing that just kind of stuck with me. I was like, man, this, this is a great analogy for the spiritual life. Any uh, Potterheads, Harry Potter people out here? I know you're there. Thank you. Nodding. Yeah, even some hands up. I love it. So um, uh, my daughter, Hannah, in particular, is she's like the biggest Harry Potter person in our house, and as a result, seen all the movies, read, I guess I read one of the books. Anyway, there's, there's historically been a lot of Potterness in our house. She is a Ravenclaw, for those of you who, who <laughs> care about such things. But if, uh, if you've read the books, if you've seen the movies, one of the things that you will note about this is that every year the students, when they come back to school, right, it's a new year, they're, they're grown a little older, every year they come back, they take their classes, but there's one class that they take every year And every year the content gets a little more advanced, and that class is called Defense Against the Dark Arts, right? And this is a class where the students come, and uh, it has, uh, for me at least, as a viewer of this, there's kind of this jarring effect that you have with this part, this aspect of Harry Potter, because... So much of their life for these kids, it's, it's sweet, and it's fun, and it's magical, and it's butterbeer, and it's weird jelly beans, and it's all these things. Uh, and, and then you get to this class, or you get to these, these representations of evil that pop up in this story. And it's a reminder that even with so much good, even with so much beauty and innocence and goodness that you have going on in these kids' lives... There is also this evil force in the world that is dark, that is hateful, that is bent on destroying them. And this is a good metaphor for the Christian life as well. This is our Father's world. The scriptures tell us that again and again in different ways. And it is filled with beauty and love and goodness and truth. But there is also an enemy. There is also a power in this world that is dark and hateful and that is bent on our destruction. And in a way, if you think about it, you and I, every year of our Christian lives, for you and I, we need to be ever-growing in our capacity to defend ourselves and others against the powers of darkness. Uh, We sort of need an ongoing class in defense against the dark arts. The, the Bible describes these dark arts, if you will, as the temptations that come with our flesh and the world and the devil. And I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I stop and I really think about this, I know this is something that I need. This is part of me that needs to be growing, to be growing in my capacity to be aware of the world around me and to be growing in, in my capacity Uh, to live and walk in Christ's power in the midst of that. So, what does this have to do with the Lord's Prayer? So, word number six for our study in the Lord's Prayer is the word protect. Protect. 
And it goes with this line in the Lord's Prayer that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And our series is all about learning to pray like Jesus. And uh, it's, this comes from an occasion where Jesus' disciples are watching him pray. And they come to him and they ask him, teach us how to pray. They want to be able to pray like Jesus prays. And, and uh, his answer to that is what we call the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father. And um, this is not just a prayer that we recite, but think of it, if you will, as categories that we pray. Each line represents a different area of prayer for us to enter into as we come to God in prayer. I know some of you are walking around with these, with the various, you know, these beads, one, uh, uh, one bead for each word in the Lord's Prayer. And there's more of these too. I know some of you have asked. They're on the back tables if you want to grab one. But uh, first, when we come to prayer, we reflect on who God is. We pray our Father who is in heaven. And before anything else, we just get straight in our heads who it is that we are praying to. Uh, And then we worship. We pray, hallowed be your name. Reflecting on who God is, we worship him for who he is. Surrender is the third word. We pray your will be done, your kingdom come, not our own. Fourth, we ask for what we need. Give us today our daily bread. Whatever it is that we are in need of, we ask God to provide it. And then last week, we talked about grace, receiving it and giving it to others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that brings us to today, where we pray, God, protect us as we go into this world. Protect us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, we go into the world not fearful, but prayerful. Learning from Jesus how to see spiritual danger as it comes and how to respond in God's strength. How do we do this? Well, it starts with praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's, uh, Let's make this our prayer today as we turn to our text. So pray it with me. We pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Father, with that, we pray you indeed would be near us as we come near to you in this time of worship, in the scriptures, and in song, and prayer, at the Lord's table. Uh, We pray, God, that you would be glorified. We pray that your people would be strengthened. We pray, God, that as we come to you, that you would indeed draw near to us, Lord, wherever we're at in our walk with you. And God, we do pray also for those around us as uh, the storm continues to come, if it does indeed get bad here or in other parts of Southern California, we just pray your hand of protection uh, on people all over the Southland. Uh, We pray especially for those who are without homes tonight, that you'd be caring for them and keeping them safe. Uh, But God, we entrust ourselves to you and we entrust this time to you. We do so in Christ's name. Amen. So friends, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, we're praying, God, protect us. Protect us from the spiritual dangers that we will encounter today. 
And this makes sense, doesn't it? When you think of it, this, this uh, part just immediately before this in the prayer, we have recognized our own sin. We've asked God for forgiveness as well as extended that forgiveness to others. And it seems kind of natural to come out of that and say, okay, God, as I come into this day, help me maybe to do a little better. Help me to be aware of those places where I will be tempted to sin as we go into this day. So what exactly is it that we're doing when we pray this and why? Uh, What is God doing in us? How are we being formed into the likeness of Christ as we pray this day after day after day? And I want to go about the answer this way. I want to call attention to two things in particular that are happening in us as we are praying this, as we are being formed by this prayer that Jesus has given us. And I would put it this way. First, we develop an awareness of the dangers to our spiritual life. We begin to see the things that are coming at us on a day-to-day basis. And, and just that is an accomplishment. We don't always see it. So much of life feels like a blind side. But as we're praying this, we're developing awareness. We are learning to see. And second, we're learning how to walk in God's power in the moment that we need it. We're learning how to, to recognize not just the potential for sin in front of us and, and for spiritual warfare. We're, we're recognizing as well that God is with us and learning how to appropriate his power in those moments when we need it. So kind of hold those in your mind. Let's see how these play out in this verse and in our daily lives. So uh, first, the first part of this verse deals specifically with those temptations towards sin Lead us not into temptation, is what we pray. Which, I don't know about you, but I've always found that to be kind of an odd phrase, right? I want to respond to it with, like, you know, thanks God, I'm good. I I don't need you to lead me there, I can find temptation on my own. No problems whatsoever. Uh, But what does that mean? Uh, What what does that mean? And does God tempt us to sin? And the answer to that is, is no, he doesn't. It, it sounds really odd to our ears, but it's, it's one of those idiomatic phrases. It's a very Jewish way of wording a prayer. Asking, in, in essence, it's asking for God's help when temptation comes. Uh, there's, there's other Jewish prayers in the first century that kind of mirror that same language. And uh, James, later on in the New Testament, he clarifies, helps us see where temptation does come from. James 1, 14 and 15 says this. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So, James, in essence, says this. He says, don't blame God. When you find yourself being attacked, as it were, by sin, by temptation, don't blame God. It's not him. It's our own evil desires that entice us and drag us away. This is what the the scriptures call the flesh. That tendency in you and I towards sin. He says that's the thing that, that entices, that drags us away. But importantly, and don't miss this part of this, importantly, the journey from temptation to sin is not automatic, right? You notice there's a progression that happens here. 
it's, it's when those temptations, when they fester, when they grow, when they're given a chance to take root on us, that's when sin happens. And he describes it in almost a birth-like process here, right? That temptation, right? The temptation itself is not sin. A temptation is a temptation, right? When that temptation is left on its own, when we, we just let it sit there, or we fan the flames of it, that thing grows in us to the point where we act on it. And at that point, that's where it becomes sin. So, what is it that we are asking when we pray, lead us not into temptation? In broadest strokes, we are saying, God, help me steer clear of trouble. And when I do find myself in it, when I'm enticed, help me, God, to overcome it. Uh, in other words, we're, we're learning as we pray this, we're learning to see it. We're learning to have this awareness of sin as it comes towards us and then have power to turn away from that temptation before it can actually become sin. And I think kind of implicit in this, there's, uh, there's an important acknowledgement that we need help, isn't there? And I don't know if you struggle with this as much as I do or not, but I, I, I don't like needing help. I like being self-sufficient. Right? And I know this is all of us. Sometimes I think maybe, maybe men have even more trouble with this than women do. I'm not sure. But I know, you know we're famous for not wanting to ask for directions or whatever. If I'm in the grocery store, I don't even want to ask where that item is I can't find. I just want to circle the store until I find it. But there's something very helpful about just admitting, just acknowledging, hey, I need some help. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer... Every day, we're saying, God, when it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation, I need help. And we're learning in that a posture of humility, aren't we? We're learning in that a healthy posture of dependence, where we know that we need the Father to intervene in our lives. If we're going to interrupt that process, right, that journey from temptation to sin, if we're going to stop that midway, before uh, sin can be given birth to. We need God's help. And friends, this, this is reality, isn't it? Our temptations come every day. And Jesus doesn't want us walking into these either blind, not seeing them, or powerless, doing nothing about them. So he tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now here's a question. How does God typically do this? What does his help typically look like in our lives as we're praying for this protection, as we're praying for him to intervene in our lives? And my favorite picture of this, it comes from a verse in Paul's letter to a young church in a super materialistic, sex-soaked city called Los Angeles. It's called Corinth, but it's just about the same thing. It's it's uncanny. But this is 1 Corinthians 10.13. Listen to this. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, uh, there's, there's great news here. right? He says, God will never let you be faced with a temptation that is so strong that you cannot say no. 
you will not encounter a temptation that is so much that there isn't a way out of this. And, and let that sink in for a second, maybe, because I think sometimes that's difficult for us to believe. Right? And if you think about those areas in your life which are, are most difficult, those temptations that you feel most susceptible to, there's often a very real sense of powerlessness there. And, and particularly if, if a, a sin area in our lives has grown to the level of addiction. Right? And I use that in the, the broadest sense of the word, but it's, it's a very true sense of the word too. We, of course, can be addicted to things like drugs and alcohol and food and shopping uh, and, uh, and pornography. And I mean any number of things. But in reality, in reality, in addition to those, we can become just as addicted to being judgmental. We can become just as addicted to selfishness. There is no sin that if left unchecked can't rise to a level where we feel absolutely powerless to do anything about it. And and indeed, when a sin has grown to that level where we would say, man, this is an area of addiction for me. And again, this can be chemical or it can be non-chemical. But when something grows to that level, then it doesn't mean there's no longer a, a way of escape. But certainly we've come to a place where that way of escape is more difficult where we're probably going to need the help of others in that, which brings us back to, oh, it's so difficult to feel like we need help. But we do. But Paul says uh, that there, uh, there is no temptation. God will not let us be faced with a temptation that's going to be beyond our capacity to say no to that. And also, importantly, also he says here, you can't also say, well, this is just unique to me, right? Uh, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, as powerful as the temptation you are experiencing might be, you're not the first and only person to ever deal with this, whether we feel like that or not. There is still the possibility of God's help in that, of God's protection within that. And then importantly, and and hold on to this part, he says, but when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so you can endure it, or as some translations put it, a way of escape. And this, I would suggest to you, is, is the most normal and natural way that God answers our prayer for protection. He helps us see the way of escape, that awareness, and then gives us power to take it, right? And I think we all know this from experience, right? We can see there, there is a point, I won't call it a, a point of no return, but there is a point where it becomes very difficult to return. There is a point when a temptation presents itself to us where we can see there's a way out of this. I can turn back. But if we stay on that path very long, well, then we come to a place where it's, it's very difficult to escape. The way that God protects us from sin ordinarily is helping us see it and say no early on. Uh, Think about it this way. Uh, Maybe at times, like me, you've been sitting on the couch at night, you're watching television, and, and you have the desire for a bit of a snack. And it occurs to you at this point that there is an unopened carton of ice cream in the freezer. And nothing would satisfy quite so much in this moment as a snack from said carton of ice cream 
in the freezer. And then when I go into the kitchen and I open the freezer and I take out the ice cream, there comes a moment of decision. Do I reach for a cup and put a scoop of ice cream into said cup and take the cup with me back to the couch and I enjoy a reasonable, sensible, late-night snack in front of the TV? Or do I say, you know, it would be good to be reasonable in this, and I will be reasonable as I take the carton and a spoon back to the couch. Now, how's it going to go with me and the carton of ice cream? Not well. The way of escape came earlier on. It came when I was still in the kitchen in front of the freezer contemplating whether to grab the whole carton or to, to grab a cup. Or maybe it came even earlier than that when I was on the couch and thinking through, what should I eat right now? Do I want to eat right now? All those things, yes? Ordinarily, this is the way our wrestling with temptation goes in our lives. Uh, there is a point where we're able to pull back and where some temptation is not able to grow into full-blown sin. Once we pass that, well, that's when it gets difficult. And friends, how do we learn to be sensitized to that way of escape? Uh, Well, I think we could say it starts with this. Every day we pray the Lord's Prayer. And we begin to see. We build an awareness of how sin works in our lives. And we begin to draw on God's power in the moment of temptation. And there is, there is a grace in this, friends. There is a grace where Jesus, in his gentleness with us, has given us a mechanism in which to deal with temptation as it comes into our lives. What does this look like in my life? Um, Just to give you mine as an example, but I come to the protect part of the Lord's Prayer, and, and as I pray it, typically it sounds something like this. It's, God, help me to see temptation as it comes today. Help me see the way of escape and give me strength to take it once I see it. Right? And for me, I, I pray about particular temptations. Right? And uh, there's, there's a wonderful term that's been used a lot in church history. One's besetting sins. Those sins you can kind of expect are going to show up every day. Right? Those things that you know are a struggle. And I pray about that. Right? There's, there's going to be temptations this day, I'm pretty sure, towards things like pride and lust and selfishness. They're going to be there. I can pretty much count on it. And then for that particular day, right? I try to pray through temptations that I think there's a good chance that they're going to come. Right? Uh, maybe I know I'm going to see that person that I find kind of annoying. And there's going to be a temptation that comes with that. To think of them with contempt or to say something that's rude or whatever. And so, so I'll pray, God, help me to see that person when I see them today. Help me to see them as your beloved child and to treat them as such. Or maybe I'm looking at my calendar and I'm, I'm seeing, okay, I'm, I'm going to be in a setting today where I feel small and where there's going to be a temptation for me to brag or to show off something I know or say something that would diminish somebody else so that I feel bigger. And so I pray and say, God, 
help me today to find my worth entirely in you and not to feel like I have to do something to show others around me that I have worth. Uh, or, or there's days where I'm just irritable, and I already know that, you know, in the morning. I can feel it's kind of going to be one of those days, and I pray, God, help me, help me not to be a jerk with my family today. Right? You, you feeling this? Right? We pray. Be as specific as you can, as practical as you can. Pray, God, the temptations that are coming at me today, the ones I expect and the ones that I don't, God, help me in this. And friends, I mean, again, can you see the grace in this? Can you see God knows that you are going to face temptations today? He's not surprised by it. He knows it's coming. He wants you to know it's coming. He knows it's coming, but he doesn't scold you for it. He doesn't rebuke you for being weak. He doesn't shame you with, are you still dealing with that? Not at all. He knows it's coming. He says, this is what I want you to do. Just pray. Pray, God, protect me today as I go into the world. Help me to live in a way that honors you. Uh, that's that's the, the first part of the prayer. Uh, the second part of the prayer deals not so much with our internal temptations, with our flesh, but with the external danger posed by the devil. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And now, okay, here we go. Now, we may think it's one thing to recognize that temptation will come and to pray about that, but to pray about the devil on a daily basis, right? You might have, I might have a tendency to maybe think that I don't really need to think about the demonic world. What does that have to do with my everyday life, right? Also, it's sort of weird. And we don't necessarily enjoy going there. But I, I think here of, of the classic movie, The Usual Suspects, you know the one, yes, where there's that line in it that says, the devil's greatest trick was convincing the world that he didn't exist. There's some good truth in that. C.S. Lewis said something similar. It's been helpful to me through the years. In the Screwtape Letters, he said, there are two equal and opposite airs into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And I think, particularly in a materialist culture like ours, it is very easy, if not to disbelieve, in the demonic world than at least to forget about it or is to see it as something that is irrelevant to our daily life. But friends, the Bible paints a different picture and this verse is representative. It's out of 1 Peter. But he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Right? Peter is saying this is not a being that has nothing to do with your everyday life. In fact, if we are, are not going to live in fear of him, probably the best option for the demonic, as Lewis has suggested, is just to get us to forget about 
his existence or his presence. But how do we live in a way where we are alert, as Peter says, to what Satan is up to without, on the other hand, falling into the opposite error that Lewis points to of becoming obsessed and seeing the devil hiding behind every bush and every circumstance in our lives. Again, I think this is part of why Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. As we apprentice ourselves to him, as we are learning to see the world as Jesus does, he's teaching us as we pray this how to see the world rightly, how to develop an awareness of the dangers that we encounter in the spiritual life, and how to call on God's power in the moment that we do. When we pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one, we acknowledge there is this reality. Temptation is going to come from within us, yes. But also there's an exterior world uh, that presses temptations on us as well. How do we do this? Um, uh, again, for, for me, this is kind of how I go about it. But it's helpful for me to ask, okay, what is the primary way that Satan works? And I would suggest to you that what we see in Scripture is that the primary tool at Satan's disposal is the lie. It's deception. Right? Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He says when he lies, he's just speaking his native language. This is at the heart of what Satan does is he deceives. And friends, the lie can come to us as as sort of a, a thought that's whispered to us, as it were. Or it could come as, as the world system uh, and what it's doing around us and doing to us. Remember, spiritual warfare is the flesh, the devil, and the world, right? Uh, the world sets up an alternative moral framework for us to live by, and that is part of the lie that we are confronted with as we go into the world each day. But check this out. Okay, you see how a lie can be especially dangerous when we're talking about our spiritual well-being? Right? Temptation is one thing. Uh, but uh, the scripture talks about temptation primarily as something that we see. We see something, we know, oh, I shouldn't go there. That's not good. And then the temptation is, am I going to go there or not? But the way that a lie works, it's much more difficult to recognize the temptation for what it is. The power of the lie is that it can make us dismiss temptation as temptation and to treat it as something different. So for instance, the temptation might be to to cut a person out of our life who's wronged us rather than seeking reconciliation with that person. That's the temptation. But the lie The lie says, you don't really need to make things right. Because, and you can fill in the blank here, because, well, that person is toxic. Or they were the ones at fault. Or what they did was sufficiently bad that, no, you don't need to. You see this? It changes the nature of the temptation because we're no longer sure if it's temptation we're dealing with. That's the power of the lie. Or, The temptation is to lash out at the person who made you angry. That's the temptation. But the lie, the lie says to us, well, you know, after what they did, they deserve even worse than the anger that I'm giving them. Or the temptation is to 
satisfy our sexual desires outside of marriage. And the lie comes to us and says, well, things were a lot different in biblical times. I'm not sure we should be expected to live by the same sexual standard now that they did back then. The temptation is to badmouth the person that hurt us. The lie is to say, well, I'm not really badmouthing, I'm just warning other people. Right? You see how this works? On and on it goes. The lie makes the temptation that much worse, and that's where Satan's power really lies. That's where the power really is in causing us to believe things that are not true because we act according to what we actually believe. And so that's why the lie is so powerful. That's why the scripture talks so much about the danger of false teaching, all of this. If you and I buy into a lie, we will be controlled by the instigator of those lies. Uh, Friends, this is the way that Satan primarily works in our lives. Sin ends up winning the fight because we've stopped fighting. We don't understand anymore that we're in a fight. Uh, That is the danger. Here's what this looks like for me. When I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, when I come to this part of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, I try to stop and ask here. Are there areas where I think the enemy might be stirring things up, might be causing trouble in my life or you know, in my family and my loved ones around me? And uh, I'm looking there especially for lies. I'm asking questions like, am I justifying things that I shouldn't be justifying? Am I excusing myself for things? Am I blaming others? instead of looking at what my part in a problem might be, right? I, I get especially sensitive with these things around questions of unity and questions of forgiveness. Uh, for centuries, the spiritual masters have said that those two areas, along with sexual sin, actually are kind of the, the devil's playground. That's where, where Satan tends to really run rampant. And so I, I try to be attuned to those things as they come up. I ask the Spirit to search me, uh, to be revealing to me any places where it looks like maybe I'm buying into something that isn't true. Right? I, I'm not sure I always do this well, but I try to look particularly at areas where I know there are lies that I would like to believe. You know the ones I'm talking about? Uh, we are far more likely to believe the lie in areas where we would like it to be true than areas where we're ambivalent or uh, we would prefer that the truth be true. Does that make sense? Uh, But try to be prayerfully aware of that and just ask, am I thinking biblically about this particular area? Sometimes as I come to this part of prayer, I'll I'll pray through what's called the armor of God. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following, if you want to read through it. But just, just praying through what are the ways that God, if, if we have found salvation in Christ, that God has equipped us, has already offered protection for us, right? And one of those, by the way, is truth. Is one of the ways that God offers protection to us. Or often I'll pray, uh, I'll pray out of James 4. James 4, 7 says this. It's a great shorthand 
for spiritual warfare in general. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? Submit yourself to God. We've already done that. If we're praying in the Lord's Prayer, we've already come to a place of surrender. But we come to that and say, okay, am I in my heart trying to and asking God's help and living according with his will, his desire, his plans, his truth? And then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As much mystery as there is in the Bible, and there is a lot around the world of angels and demons, one thing that is made perfectly clear to us is this. That while Satan is strong, Jesus is stronger. Right? We see this in many places, but one in particular is Matthew 28, before Jesus sends out his disciples. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? It is because Jesus has conquered the power of Satan and sin and death that we are authorized by the king to go into the world and carry out his mission. Now think about that. The authority of the king has been given to you for your use. We are made to walk in the power of God as we go into our everyday lives. So I'll pray. As I come to this part of the the prayer, I will pray, Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And in his name, I command any evil spirits to flee from me, from my family, from this church, from my loved ones to stand in that authority that God has given us. And as we recognize the influence of the evil one, to resist, to take our stand. You'll, you'll note this in scripture too. We're, we're never told that we need to go on the offense. We're never told anything like that. But uh, in this verse, in Ephesians 6, in the first Peter verse, we look like the, the command in regards to spiritual evil is always to stand. Don't give up your ground. Stand firm, resist, and the devil will flee. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, friends, we're learning how to do that. We're learning day by day what it is to walk in the power of God, the authority of Jesus Christ over every spiritual power above and below, and to say, I too am able to walk in that, not because of myself, but because Jesus' victory has been extended to me as his follower, I am to walk in that as I do his good work in the world. Make sense? It kind of feels like a lot, doesn't it? The simple line in the prayer, and you start to get into it, and you're like, oh my. <laughs> Behind the curtain, there is this whole other world going on that I'm usually not seeing, I'm usually not even thinking about. But Jesus wants to train you and I as his apprentices to be aware, to see it, and respond in the love, the grace, and the power of Jesus as we walk in him day by day. Let's pray together.